I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me for our scripture reading for our sermon this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, we were there earlier for our gospel reading. And for our sermon text, we're going to go to the end of chapter 9 and read verses 35 to 38. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. This is God's holy word for us today. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's God's holy word for us today. Let's ask him to bless our time in his word. God, we pray according to your word in the Psalms that the unfolding of your scriptures today would give us light, your divine light, the light of your truth. We ask that you would shine your light from your word upon us today, that we may be instructed in your eternal and heavenly wisdom, that we would be instructed in the divine wisdom of your Son, the Lord Jesus. So give us eyes to see, we pray. Give us ears to hear. Empower the preaching of your word, we pray that we might receive it with faith and eagerness to obey. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we are beginning a new series. We just finished up the one from Easter on the resurrected life, looking at the new birth. We had Trinity Sunday last week. Now the colors are green. We're in a new season of the church calendar. We're starting a new series today. And so I'm calling this series the Sermon on the Mission. Sermon on the Mission. You all know the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. But the next major sermon in Matthew is in chapter 10. It's the second of five major long sermons or discourses that Jesus gives in the gospel of Matthew. And this one I'm calling the Sermon on the Mission. It's all of Matthew chapter 10. And the topic is the mission that Jesus sends his disciples to accomplish the mission that Jesus sends all of his disciples on to accomplish, the mission of the church, the marching orders of the church, what Jesus wants each of us and all of us together as Christians and as bodies of Christians, the body of Christ, as churches to be about, the work we should be doing, the mission he sends us on. It begins with 12 disciples being sent on a particular mission for a particular set period of time in Jesus' ministry in Galilee. But in the the course of Jesus giving these instructions in chapter 10, 
He tells them way more than they need to know for this one short-term mission in Galilee. He tells them things that they will need to know for the rest of their lives as they go about the Great Commission. We call it the Great Commission, but we could just as easily say the Great Mission. The Great Mission that He sends us on as His disciples. He is beginning now in chapter 10 to prepare them for what He's going to tell them to do and expect them to do in chapter 28 at the end of the gospel. He's already beginning to prepare them for the Great Mission that they have to go on. And so this is his marching orders for his church. And we're going to be doing this series, walking verse by verse through Matthew chapter 10. It's going to take us the rest of the summer. So we're going to camp out on Jesus' mission and our mission as his followers. And this is what we're going to be looking at this summer. And you might ask, why this topic and why now? That's a fair question of any series I do, is to say, all right, what gave you that idea? Why do you think, we need, why do you think it's a, a worthwhile thing for us to sit and listen to for however many Sundays is in the summer? Why should I keep coming back? Why are we doing this now? Those are great questions. Thank you for asking. The answer, the answer is twofold. I have two reasons for doing this and for doing it now. And the first is the, is the why now question. As I said, our colors have changed to green. And what we're doing is we're following the liturgical calendar, the Christian year. And the green tells you that we're at a particular season of time. I mentioned it last week. It's called ordinary time. And ordinary time doesn't mean, you know, ho-hum, lame time, just ordinary, nothing special happening. No, great things are happening in ordinary time. Ordinary refers to the ordinal numbers, the counting numbers, one, two, three, four. So it's counting season. It's counting season, and it's green because it happens during the summer, the spring and summer. It's the time of growth. It's the time of new life. It's the time of things growing and blooming. It's the time where we are doing two things as a church, not just our local church, but the body of Christ that follows, the churches that follow these liturgical calendars, but also us as the church in the world, in this this epic of history that we're in between the first coming and second coming. We are in our growing season where we are doing two things. We are counting down the days. One, two, three, four. We're counting the days until the return of Christ, which is why Advent is the next thing we celebrate at the end, and it starts over the cycle of the Christian year. Advent's all about remembering the first coming and looking forward to the second coming, and it, it comes at the end of our waiting season our growing season, planting season, watering season, and harvest comes at the end. We are in the period of planting, watering, ripening, preparing for the great harvest at the return of Christ. We are laboring in the field until the master of the field returns. The church is laboring in the field by pursuing its divinely given mission in the world. And hence, The world is the church's mission field. It's the place where we're at work, where we're pursuing the mission, the mission field. That's the first reason that we're doing this now is because of the season that we're in. So this series is supposed to parallel why the colors are green. 
to parallel this period where we are called to labor in the field and to work with our eye on the harvest at the end. Second reason we're doing this is this. To do the work of the master and to accomplish the mission that he's called us to do, we need to know what the mission is. If Jesus just said, now go do the mission, the, 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 the world is the field, you're the laborers, mission field, go. And we're like, okay. But what do we do? <laughs> if he just left it vague, undefined, nebulous, we would just go out there and, and we would start doing something he had no intention of us doing, which we kind of do anyways because we don't listen. <laughs> right? We... we even when we're told what the mission is sometimes, the church gets way off track. And we start building our little kingdoms instead of his. And so, this is meant to refocus, reorient, to remember, maybe to learn for the first time, what is this mission we're on? What are we supposed to do as a church? When we decide to do this program or that event, how does it fit into the mission? So that we're all going the same direction and we're not pulling each other and the church in a hundred different directions because I think we should do that and I think we should do this. Let's all get on the same page. Let's be one body pulling in one direction. And we can't do that if we don't know what the direction is or what we're supposed to be doing as we go that direction. So that's why we're doing this. What is this mission? Jesus, the master shows us and tells us what the mission is. And he tells us how to do it. And he tells us what to expect as we do it. And he tells us how to succeed. And he does all this in Matthew chapter 10. So that's why we're going there for the summer. If we want to be about the master's business and follow his calling into our own section of the mission field where we live, we need to pay close attention to Jesus' sermon on the mission. Now, the Gospel of Matthew sets up the sermon on the mission, which is the entirety of chapter 10, 42 verses, it sets this up with this concluding summary statement of Jesus' ministry in Galilee up to this point in his public career. And that's the passage we just read. Matthew 9, 35 to 38 is Matthew's own setup for chapter 10. It's his lead-in. It's his introduction to chapter 10. In verse 35, we get a repeated statement that Matthew already said back in chapter 4. Look at verse 35. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. Matthew already said that, almost word for word, in chapter 4. And if you go back to chapter 4, verses 23 to 25, this is what Matthew says. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. 
And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Okay? So Matthew tells us all of that before Jesus has done any of it in the actual story in Matthew. He t- and then he repeats it in chapter 9. So what's happening here? Well, this repetition where he says the same thing at the beginning and end of this section, this serves as a literary device called bookending. You, just, you, you say one thing, and then you put the other end, you repeat it, and it's like bookends that sort of are like brackets around what's in between them. It's this literary device. If you're in the ancient world and all you have is a piece of papyrus, which is plant that grows along the Nile River in Egypt, and then you, you, know, you doctor it up and paste it together and turn it into a scroll, if all you got is so much scroll and no you know, word processor, <laughs> no underlining, no, no bold, no italics, no, no subheading, you only have so much scroll and it's expensive. So how do you, how do you emphasize things and, and like bracket things and, and make distinct sections in a scroll. If it's just continuous text with no spaces between the words because you only got so much space and hardly any punctuation, which is how this stuff was written in the original Greek, how do you, how do you tell where the different sections are? Well, they had ways of doing that. We can just, you know, increase font, bold, put the title, and then space down a few spaces and then bracket off that section. They couldn't do that. One thing they could do, though, was repetition, which served as this bracketing literary device called bookending or bracketing. And it sets off off that section of material that comes between them. And that's what Matthew's doing. He's drawing attention to what just happened in between the repetition of this statement. Matthew is telling you that, that these are the bookends of the material that comes between them from chapters 5 all the way through 9. Matthew tells you what Jesus did in this section. He tells you what Jesus did in chapter 4. Then he shows you Jesus doing it in 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. And then he tells you again what Jesus just did at the end of 9. It's a literary device for marking off sections of the narrative. And the the end of chapter 4 to the end of chapter 9 is a depiction of the mission of Jesus. And it serves as the lead-in for Jesus to then tell his disciples, okay, boys, now it's your turn. He tells you what Jesus is going to do in chapters 5 through 9, then Jesus does it, and then he summarizes what Jesus did, and in chapter 10, Jesus is going to say, you see what I just did? Were you reading 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9? Your turn. Okay, that's what's happening. Jesus is the example. Jesus doesn't tell us to go do something he didn't do first. Something he's unwilling to do. Jesus does it, and they are his disciples, which means they're his students. They're supposed to be taking notes. They're supposed to be preparing for the exam. They're in class. It looks like they're walking around watching Jesus do some miracles. Really, they're in class. And Jesus is going to turn to them at the end of this section of his ministry and say, now it's your turn to start doing it. I'm going to do it, and you watch, and then we're going to do it together, and then you're going to do it, and I'm going to watch, and then eventually you're just going to do it. And that's how you train somebody in anything to do anything, whether it's retail, your job, or whatever. Someone does it, you watch, then, they, then you do it, and they watch, and eventually you can do it by yourself without all that oversight. 
That's what's happening. Jesus is a good leader and a good teacher, and he's training them for the mission that's coming. He is the model and the example. So let's look at the Jesus mission and the master in action as our example for our mission. Let's take a look at what he does. We'll do it verse by verse. Verse 35, it begins by saying, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. This is an itinerant ministry that Jesus has. It's an itinerant mission. Jesus is not like John the Baptist, who earlier in the gospel is standing in a river, and people are coming to the river. Matthew is not going, or excuse me, John the Baptist is not going to all the watering holes of Israel and baptizing those who can get there. He's standing in a river, and everybody who wants to get baptized comes to him. He's not going to them. It's a come see, come and get it approach, which is fine. Jesus, though, changes it. Jesus doesn't just sit in Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee and just wait for them to come to him. No, Jesus gets up, he, he grabs his disciples, he says, let's go, and it says he is on the move all over Galilee. He is going throughout all the cities and all the villages. The villages are these tiny little clusters of huts and homes on a hillside, the rural area, and then the cities. Now, there were a couple of big cities in Galilee, but mainly this just means the bigger towns, not the metropolises. He's going around the countryside, and he's going into these little villages, and he's going into the bigger towns like Capernaum, where his home base was, and he's going all over the place, and he is on the move. Jesus is going to the people that he's seeking to serve. Jesus is looking for them, not waiting for them to come to him. So that's step one. It's a going mission, an itinerant mission, an on-the-move mission, not a just come, I'll sit, and hopefully somebody will show up mission. It's a bring-them-in kind of mission. Go find them. That's the first thing about Jesus' mission. It's itinerant. It's mobile. It seeks. It doesn't just wait. Second thing. Verses 35 and 36, we then get a very quick rapid-fire description of four things that Jesus does on his mission in addition to just going. Four primary things Jesus does. Let's read the verses, and then let's just notice what they are. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages in verse 35, and here comes, the, here comes what he did. Teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction... When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So in addition to going, he did these four things. Once he got to where he was going, this is what he did. He settled down for a little while and he did these four things. He would teach them, teach them God's word, teach them the truth about God, about the gospel, you name it. Second thing, he would proclaim, which is the word for preach. He preached the good news or the gospel of the kingdom. So he would show up and he would teach people in their synagogues. He would go out and he would preach to crowds. Next, he would heal. He went about healing people of their diseases and their afflictions. People who had sicknesses and people who were afflicted in some other way. doesn't have to be physical. Could be mental, could be demonic, you name it. People who are suffering from some kind of affliction. 
and people who have physical sickness in their bodies. He would go around and he would heal them. And then the, the fourth thing that he did is he showed, demonstrated, enacted compassion. Compassion on three groups of people. He enacted compassion. He showed compassion on these groups. Those who were harassed, those who were helpless. And then it says, like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, the vulnerable. What is an unattended or abandoned flock in danger of? What harasses a flock of sheep that doesn't have anyone to protect it? Wolves. (laughs) Some other animal that says, hmm, looks tasty. Let's eat. (laughs) They're in danger of being killed, eaten, maimed, scattered. I mean, they're, they're going to perish. Sheep without a shepherd is bad news for the sheep. And if there's supposed to be a shepherd there and he's hired by somebody else, it's bad news for that shepherd. Read Jeremiah who talks about the unfaithful, negligent, derelict shepherds who are going to be under God's absolute judgment because of how they treat God's people. It's not good. These people need Jesus' deepest compassion because they're harassed, they're helpless, they're in danger, they're vulnerable, they are going to perish in all sorts of ways. Not, don't just think spiritually, but in this world too, they are harassed and helpless and they need compassion. So what Jesus did when he went to these towns and villages is he set up camp for a, for a short period of time, a temporary period of time, and he would teach disciples, he would preach the gospel to the crowds, he would heal those who were afflicted and those who were diseased. And then he would just went around and he just poured out his compassion on the people there who needed somebody to care and somebody to touch and love and help. And notice it doesn't say that he showed compassion on people only if they accepted the invitation to come forward and become a follower. This isn't compassion that's contingent or conditional on them coming forward and praying some prayer, which is very instructive to us that the compassion and the healing was not conditional upon the people making the right decision at the gospel presentation. This is something he did everywhere he went. Teach, preach, heal, compassion. That was Jesus' mission. As indi- these five things, these five things, therefore, are our marching orders. They are our example, our model of what we should be about. We are called to join Jesus on his mission, to carry on the Jesus mission right where we are as individual Christians and as a local congregation. And in, in continuity and perhaps even explicit collaboration with the other congregations that are around us so that we're not competing with them. We're on the same team. We all have the same jersey, and we're all pursuing the same mission together, and we don't care who gets the credit and who gets the converts and who gets the bigger sanctuary and who gets the more people on Sundays. We just want people to know Jesus, and if they end up going to this church, praise God. If they go somewhere else, praise God, because where they end up isn't the point, because we're not keeping score like it's a competition. We just want to do this mission and let God put them where they need to be. And it may be here, it may be somewhere else. 
But that is not the point. We are to be on the Jesus mission. We're to do these five things. We need to go. We've got to move. If we just sit and we say, we have such a lovely building, who wouldn't want to come worship in our lovely old building? And if you build it, they will come, right? Well, they built it hundreds of years ago. Just, just building it is great, but we need to be mobile. We need to be looking outside of our four walls. We need to look at areas around us, and we need to think of ways of how can we go there? What's the most effective way to go there? How can we put people on the ground there? How can we start doing mission there? Not just overseas somewhere, but our mission field is here. The mission field of the Forks is right here where we live, right here around us in the surrounding communities within you know a few miles radius right here go teach the church should have a teaching ministry where we actually open the bible we read it we learn it we teach it and we don't just teach fun facts for the final exam but we teach each other how to be good disciples how to believe this stuff how to obey god's word how to believe his promises how to get through suffering we we learn our faith we learn how to do this thing called the christian life and we preach. Yes, we have. no matter where we go, we have to preach the gospel. We've got to open our mouths and say, thus says the Lord. Sin, cross, heaven, hell, the, the whole gospel. Don't leave any of it out. Repentance, it's all got to be there. We preach the gospel. But we, then we also need to be invested in how can we bring healing to people? Healing to people who are sick, Support and care and love for those who are sick and anyone who's suffering any kind of affliction. How can we be the presence of Jesus on the ground right there, the hands and feet of this thing called the body of Christ? And how do we bring God's healing touch? And then how do we just show compassion in the world around us? How do we show compassion? We need to identify the people around us who are harassed, the people who are helpless, the people who are vulnerable, the people who are oppressed the people who are in danger, not just spiritually, but who are in danger of life, chewing them up and spitting them out, of society grinding them to powder and scattering them to the winds. This world is so broken, and we contribute so much of it from ourselves, but it will have a way of grinding us to powder. Life can beat us down, the challenges, the difficulties, the loss, the tragedies, just the mess that we have to face so often. How do we find the people who are really struggling and just regardless of whether they ever become Christians, regardless, we just bring that deep compassion of Jesus right where they are and begin to dream and think, what would this look like tangibly on the ground? What would an actual ministry look like that, was, that showed compassion to people? What would an actual ministry look like that tried to help people who are harassed, oppressed, helpless, what would that look like? How do we help the most vulnerable people around us? What would that look like? And begin to dream and let the Holy Spirit take your mind to places and dream big and think, yeah, this doesn't sound like anything we've ever done as a church before, but God's calling us into this mission. I think he's leading me to help start this ministry. And then you go find some people and, you, and, and we do it. <laughs> we do it. It's not just Wesley thinks of everything. You think of some things and we go together. And I get behind you and say, yeah, come on. I love it. Go. You've got my full support and all my prayers. Let's go. And you take the lead and go. And I'll do my part and the elders will do their part and we're all doing our part. 
And we're all pulling together. We're all going on the mission together. As individual Christians, as members of the church on this mission, where do you fit in? Where's your place? What gifts do you have that can be useful? And I don't mean the big flashy spiritual gifts. Like, you know, how many people can you go speak in tongues to or something? Or how many people can you raise from the dead next week? Oh, we're not looking for anything like that. Now, if you can do that, call me. But that's not, that's not what we're looking for. I remember the church I grew up in, there was a man there who just, he met with the pastor and he said, I swear to you, pastor, I'm just an old country, country man. I don't have nothing in terms of spiritual gifts. I can't do nothing, all right? I, don't, I, there's no, I can't serve nobody. I can't teach nothing. I, I can't pray worth a lick. What am I going to do? <laughs> and the pastor said, well, what, what are you good at? What's one thing you're good at? What do you do for a living? And he said, I'm a mechanic. He said, well, is there anything you can do with with your skills as a mechanic to help somebody, to serve somebody? Lord, preacher, I don't know. Well, go home and pray about it, think about it, and come back next week and tell me. So he comes back next week, and he says, well, I reckon I could uh, come down here one Saturday and just do some free oil changes for a couple hours and get some people out here to, you know, just talk to people and talk about jesus and the pastor was like you see you have a spiritual gift a spiritual gift is anything you're good at that you use for a spiritual purpose take your gifts and use them for a kingdom purpose and all of a sudden the most mundane ordinary thing like knowing how to change oil can become spiritual just as spiritual as preaching and praying for six hours a day (laughs) don't think spiritual is this like I don't know, like, that it's all internal just because it's spiritual. No, spiritual can be changing oil for the glory of God and sharing the love of Christ with somebody while you do it. That's spiritual. That's deeply, deeply spiritual. We go and we engage in both spiritual and social dimensions of the mission. The kingdom of God, that's the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom has both a spiritual and a social dimension. It has spiritual and social aspects, earthly and heavenly, temporal and eternal, because we pray your kingdom come, your will be done, not in heaven as in heaven. Heaven's fine. Earth's the problem. Your kingdom come down here, Lord, on earth, and let your will be done down here as it is in heaven. And the only way that happens is if we go on a kingdom quest, a kingdom mission together, and we consider that the kingdom has implications for society, it has implications for government, for politics, for culture, it has implications for people's real lives right here. The nitty-gritty particular details of real lived experience right here in this life, not just the life to come. Because in the new heavens and new earth, When the kingdom is fully here and finished, we're not just going to be wispy ghosts floating on clouds. We're going to be right here, new heavens and new earth. And it's going to be, and there's going to be a government, and there's going to be human beings, and it's going to be run by Jesus on an actual throne, and it's going to be run perfectly, and life will be really perfect because no sin and suffering will be there, but just us and just Christ forever. 
but it'll be a real world with like, you know, grass and trees and clouds and birds. I I mean, it's a world. It's this world. (laughs) But it's totally made new. It's not off in the floaty land of wispiness. Just the ethereal whatever of it. No, it's here. It's, It's tangible. It's bodily. Resurrection bodies for a new heavens and a new earth. But we can start bringing in that kingdom right now. Right now. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the Jesus mission. After describing the Jesus mission in verses 35 and 36, we get Jesus himself telling us what the mission field is. These last two points are super quick. The main point we just saw, what's this mission? Here's the end. Verses 37 Verse 37, here Jesus describes what the field is. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So the image of a mission field is literally a field. The image is literally a field where the labor, the mission takes place. And the harvest or the crop is going to be substantial. The harvest is plentiful. The crop is enormous is what he means. The crop is humongous. And there is much work to be done in this field if we're going to harvest the whole thing, but there just aren't enough laborers in the field. There aren't enough people on deck to harvest all this stuff, to care for this size of a field, to take care of a crop this large. God has planted an enormous crop. All these people around us all who are in spiritual and social need. There is so much to be harvested right here, right where we are. Not just across the sea somewhere, but here in our area, in our county, in our community. God has planted a huge crop here. All these people around us who will be on the receiving end of this mission, the targets of this mission. Jesus is saying, we need all hands on deck to do the work or the crop will be lost. And not just lost in this life, but lost in the age to come as well. Because the kingdom has a spiritual and a social aspect. They could be just tossed out and lost in this life and the life to come. The field is the world. The harvest is people. And we are called to labor on this mission field, on the Jesus mission, and to bring in this crop, to labor to bring in the harvest. And all of us have a role to play. There's planting, there's watering, there's cultivating. You know, if you're a farmer, you know better than I do, because I've never grown anything. But all the work that it takes to plant, to go from seeds in the ground to, whew, job done, all harvested. That's a lot of work. The bigger the field, the more stuff planted, right? The more time consuming, the more energy and resources it's going to take, the more people it's going to take. This is what Jesus is saying. The, The crop is enormous. The field is massive. The people are everywhere. We need more people in the field, more laborers to bring in the crop. And that takes us to our final point. We go on the Jesus mission. We go into the mission field. But when we get there, we need to be mission minded. Verse 38, mission-minded. Therefore, he just said the laborers are few. Therefore, 
Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In light of the need, Jesus tells us to do one more thing in our mission, and it's pray. Pray for what? Specifically, pray for more laborers in the field. In other words, your prayer life needs to be more mission-minded, more kingdom-oriented. We are very good at praying for important things that we need and important things that people we love need. In addition to that, don't do less of that, in addition to that, we need to have more prayers about the mission we're on, more people involved, more prayers about the church on the mission, more prayers about us on the mission. When it says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into his harvest, be willing to say, I'd like to volunteer. (laughs) Send me, Lord. Tell me what I can do, what more I can contribute, where I can serve, and help me to be more mission-minded, to be more oriented towards the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom, Jesus says, to do that in prayer, to seek first his kingdom, his glory, and be about this mission in our prayers. And let that be a way of opening us up to joining in where we can. The Lord of the harvest who owns the field, the Lord of the harvest will have his crop. Oh, yes, we trust in the Lord of the harvest. But the question is, will you join him in his work in this field? Will you join the master on his mission? Will this church join the master more fully on his mission? We need a mission-minded prayer life for these five things. Lord, help us go. Help us teach. Help us preach. Help us heal. Help us be utterly compassionate. And may you get all the glory as we proclaim this wonderful news that Jesus, in this life and the next, is the Savior. It's Jesus who saves. So send us, Lord, to proclaim that message everywhere we go, that your kingdom can come for your great name's sake and for your glory. Let's pray. Lord, here we are. Send us. Raise us up, mobilize us, help us to begin to pray these big prayers and to dream and think about what the mission looks like for us individually and as a church. And help us not to wait, but to listen to your Spirit's prompting and to go when you tell us to go and to risk great things and attempt great things and to reach and go where we didn't think we could have gone before, but we hear you call and we're ready to go. And as we go, help us to teach your truth, to preach your gospel without compromise and without watering anything down. And at the same time, help us to be so compassionate and so invested in bringing your healing touch to those around us as individual Christians, individual disciples, and as a church here at the Forks. Do that for us, we pray. Do what only you can do so that you get all the glory. And we'll give you that praise in Jesus' name. Amen.